This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors. We would expect to see some rather concerning numbers for a while. I will continue to stand up for these regions that I know and love. We know how important it is for the parliament to meet. Isolation, testing. Being bored is much better than being in intensive care. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Fran Kelly from RM Breakfast. You are. You're still Fran Kelly from RM Breakfast and I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RN Drive. And Fran, oh, what a journey we've been on. We haven't been in people's feeds. Uh, Apologies. We have been on people's radios. We have very much been part of people's lives, but took a little break, didn't we? Uh, we We had to take a break. It was enforced like the rest of the country and, I don't know, maybe... Maybe we should let each other know and let everyone else know where we've been, PK, because I know what you're doing. You're in lockdown again, this time in a mask. Yep, I'm wearing my mask. I just took it off to record, but I've pretty much always got it on now, which is the law uh, in Melbourne, and I am in Greater Melbourne. That's where I broadcast from. And, look, we have taken a break. We thought that it was very much a health crisis and it was okay to take a break. Also, equally, we were in lockdowns. I'm in my second lockdown. I've been doing the learning from home journey with my two daughters and um, we're doing it again now. We had a celebration after the first one ended, Fran, but now we're in in it again. So um, that's kind of tricky, I won't lie. Uh, that's made my life a little more complicated and you're broadcasting from home and your dog might bark at any point. That's right. Buster is underneath the table where he is every morning from six to nine as uh, I broadcast on RM Breakfast um, every morning. He's been he's adjusted incredibly well. In fact, he's the best adjusted to the whole thing than any of us because we're all at home and he's loving that. But if he does bark, I, I do apologise. And really um, thoughts to all of you who are in lockdown number two, everybody listening to this, if you're in lockdown number two, I know I could, I can only imagine how tough that is. So, you know, thoughts go out to all of you, including you, PK. Yeah, look, you know, we're trying to be resilient, but it is very, very difficult, particularly to live in Melbourne or the Mitchell Shire at the moment or Victoria. Uh, the numbers have been really disappointing. We're recording this on a Thursday morning, but the reason we decided that this was the right week to come back into your feeds, as we thought about it, you know, we think about things, guys, uh, (laughs) was this is a huge week in politics and policy and in this economic crisis as well as health crisis, Fran. I mean, in terms of what's happened this week, it's been huge. We've got the mini budget, that's what I'm going to call it, that's been announced today. We're recording this on a Thursday morning and also the changes to JobKeeper and JobSeek. Walk me through why today particularly or this week has been such a big deal. Okay. Well, the government has actually, as we're recording this on Thursday, just unveiled the true cost, the economic cost of this pandemic so far in dollar terms. I should stress that because the health cost remains the most critical cost, of course. And in Victoria, as we've been saying, people are reminded of that every day in the toughest of ways. But there are major economic implications as the government has spent hand over fist since March to try and minimise the spread of this virus by closing down large parts of the economy and society at different stages. And people Okay, the numbers are huge. Yeah, Fran, they're they're staggering. I mean, if you told us a couple of years ago, we would have just not believed it, right? Or, you know, a couple of months ago. Uh, Debt and deficit is not that scary thing it was. Remember, of course, that was the scariest thing and and the coalition went in very hard on that theme. Well, that's all changed because of this pandemic. And, you know, you can can analyse that politically for as long as you want, but ultimately it makes sense that it's changed. This is, uh, you know, once in a hundred year event. This is... 
this is stuff that you couldn't have predicted. So the headline result of the pandemic subsidies and other measures is the government announcing what is the biggest budget deficit in 100 years. By July next year, to quote the Treasurer, that number will be an eye-watering $270 billion deficit. Uh, And, you know, we've been saying this is from a government that said it would be back in the black. Remember, they had the mugs. We've made jokes about it. We're kind of post-joke now because they have spent uh, lots of money to essentially keep Australians afloat. And the reason that's been necessary is just just contemplate the alternative, Fran. We all know the alternative would have been unthinkable for our country. We're already struggling so much. Can you imagine if they hadn't done what they've done? Let's just hear the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, explain. Australia is experiencing a health and economic crisis like nothing we have seen in the last 100 years. We must remain strong. We must draw strength from our resilience as a nation and a people. And we will get through this and we will get through this together. It was very motivational, that kind of talk from the Treasurer today, PK, because let's face it, you know, in any other time, as you've mentioned, announcing a deficit like that <laughs> would be political death. I mean, imagine if we had the debt truck today. Um, but the, the fact is the bulk of that money, the bulk of that deficit has been spent on subsidies to try and keep people in jobs. Jobs is shorthand for people's lives, their well-being. The JobKeeper payment was was key to this to try and keep people off the dole queues, and and it's worked, PK, on all the evidence. Without it, as the Treasurer reminded us a number of times today, um, 700,000 more Australians will be out of a job. As it is, Treasury is predicting unemployment will be 9% by Christmas, which is a huge number of people out of work and dependent not on JobKeeper anymore but on the JobSeeker payment. Um, And some say that's an an optimistic forecast. So, you know, this is the thing, PK. All this is all very fluid. The second spike in Victoria is having another major effect on the economy. If we get more outbreaks, the impact um, on these projections will be there to see as well. So it's all all very fluid. These are huge numbers. The impact will be felt for many, many years to come. Um, But ultimately, most of it is about trying to keep people in jobs. And that's why the government, I think, isn't sort of paying any kind of political price yet at the moment for this kind of deficit. Oh, and it can't pay a political price that's too extensive because people are looking to government like never before uh, to say, hang on a minute, help us. You know, you have forced us into shutdown to do the right thing, to save lives. And I think Australians, and I know that people at the edges have, have not done the right thing, but most Australians have been incredibly complicit and have done the right thing because they think it's the right strategy broadly to try and keep them alive and to keep their fellow Australians safe. So there is a social compact here. People say, okay, we'll make these sacrifices which are hard. And as you've mentioned, I'm going to go there again, second lockdown in Melbourne. I can tell you people, it's really hard. And I'm employed and it's really hard, right? And I'm owning that because if it's really hard and I'm employed, can you imagine if you add the other factors, like the fact that by Christmas, one in 10 people will be unemployed as that rate hits 9.25%. I mean, this is staggering stuff. So this is this is really, if we're going to analyse the politics too, Fran, difficult for Labor, and we know they've had a bit of relevance deprivation. Uh, anyone would, if it was if the shoe was in, on the other foot, the same thing would be happening, I think. This is because this is crisis government management stuff. And 
Labor is critiquing and and but broadly also being supportive because ultimately I think and we're going to get into this just a bit of an explanation of what changed about JobKeeper and JobSeeker. The government has kept broadly the architecture here for support for longer into the economy. And it seems to me, you tell me what you think, that they probably will keep going for as long as they need to. Yeah, well, that's that's a, a known unknown, really. And every time Matthias Kuhn was asked about that today, he said, well, we're look, just going to take a, a day at a time. Basically, they can't look beyond March because what's the point? We don't know where this will go. Look what's just happened in Victoria in the last four, four or five weeks. So, um, And that's fair enough too, I think. But you mentioned Christmas, you know, this unemployment rate of 9% by Christmas. Christmas is also when the government's extension to the job seeker payment, that job seeker payment is the one, is the coronavirus supplement basically, where the government doubled New Start with that extra 550 a fortnight. That's going to be phased down at the end of September and cut back quite a lot. It's going to be only 250 extra now. Um, but that's at the moment going to phase out at Christmas. And this is going to be a bit of a pointy uh, political moment for the government, I think, PK, because just imagine all those people who've come on to JobSeeker, the unemployment benefit, for the first time in their lives, probably never expected they would be there. And suddenly unemployment is their lot and they're copying a big cut in this subsidy, um, a, a cut that puts them below the poverty line. You know, if you try and take even that away from them in December, I think this would be really, you know, tricky, tricky waters for the government and for those people who are trying to live on it. It's not a lot of money. And there are now going to be 2 million Australians dependent on that subsidy. You know, this is this is very fraught. Yeah. And, and this comes on the back of a long campaign, of course, to permanently increase New Start, the unemployment benefit. The government is again not gone there. But I think the politics have completely shifted now because of what you say. This isn't just a small cohort of people you can demonise anymore and say, you know, these people are job snobs or they don't want to work or, or or they're at the fringes of society. This is now mainstream Australia. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's right because I know some people go, are you saying this, these people matter? No, I think all people should be treated equally, very clearly. But... Now it's real. Now it's your brother, it's your mother, it's your own kid. It it matters, or yourself, it matters. It's really real. It's the local chemist who's built up a business or the local bakery that's closed down. Not the bakeries are closing down, they're doing pretty well. But you know what I mean, the small businesses where people have invested so much of their lives and they've gone kaput. So suddenly they're on the dole queue too. You know, these are, these are people who were never saw themselves as being reliant on social services and they're going to be on the dole queues. And I think you're right. That is a very, very different thing. So that's why when the Prime Minister was asked after he announced the changes to JobKeeper and JobSeeker and JobKeeper was kept uh, till the end of March at a lower rate but kept to the end of March next year, a longer period, bit of stability there that they've provided. When he was asked, though, about the unemployment benefit, he said, we're leaning in to keeping a higher supplement, leaning in. Um, you know, So clearly sending the signal that they're not going to just turn off the tap in December, but either way, leaning in. Uh, is that going to be good enough just to lean in? There's going to need to be a sense of certainty and a sense of permanency because if we're dealing with, you know, what is long-term unemployment and some of it might become structural, right, because we know some people, you know, disengage with the workforce, it becomes a big issue if you look at historical recessions. If that's the case then you need to give people the opportunity to have a living wage, to have an, abil- to a living, uh, an ability to actually pay the bills properly. You cannot uh, make more people destitute. So this is a big one for them. 
And I think it goes to the next phase of this. The spending has been there and everyone's appreciated that. I think there's so much support really for, for job seeker, for job keeper and the increased job seeker. But the next phase of this is what's the government going to do about it to try and pull us out of the fire? Now the government is keen to point out it's spending, you know, you know, two billion dollars on more TAFE and training programs. There's subsidies for apprentices, desperately trying to get some of these people who will be going onto the unemployment queues right now, um, give them support to to get out the other side again. And that is going to be the next test, the political challenge for this government, for any government. Labor's already going to that. It's already calling for the government to do more than just give us the bad news, which we know, and start telling us about the strategy for getting out of it. Um, but with Parliament still not sitting because of social distancing, that reckoning is probably still a little while away, I think, PK. I reckon we should bring in our guest who is one of the better political minds in this country to just pick his brain about how it's working. Let's bring him in. <laughs> David Spears, host of Insiders. Welcome back to the party room and our, our welcome back episode too. It's wonderful to be back on the welcome back episode. Missed you guys. Yeah, we've kind of missed a lot of people, haven't we, David? <laughs> it's been a bit like that here in Melbourne. But anyway... Anyway, on we go. Anyway, I know we feel really sorry for you guys. David, um, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, he's been allowed out of Melbourne. He's in Canberra, but he's got to be in a mask all the time. Um, he stood up to give us the bad news. Very keen to get the numbers out, but I noticed not so keen to answer questions about how long this you know, huge debt and deficit is going to take to pay back. In fact, I thought the Finance Minister, Matthias Cormann, who was standing up there with the Treasurer, was almost downright snippy when he was asked that question. What did you think? Yeah, there was indignation there, that's for sure. And it is fascinating for all of us who've followed uh, you know, this government over the years. Matthias Cormann, of course, finance minister from the get-go back in 2013. And he had a somewhat different tone back then when it came to huge amounts of government debt, didn't he? This time around, like, what else am I going to do? Look around the world. And, and look, it's a fair point. Um, there, there aren't many options, but it is so different to uh, you know after the global financial crisis hit. There's bipartisan cover now for what the government's doing. That didn't exist for Labor back then. Um, you know, I'm sure plenty of people will point out there are differences this time around and so on, but there's no doubting the, the, the remarkable change in tone from the likes of Matthias Cormann, Scott Morrison, Josh Frydenberg, and, and all the deficit and debt hawks in the coalition. Um, you know, I, I, to your point about uh, not wanting to get into how to pay this off, <clears throat> I think that's probably fair right now. The, the one thing we can say with any certainty around the numbers released today is how uncertain they are. I mean, we don't know whether this is where debt's going to uh, hit. We don't know what the deficit's really going to be. We don't know what the unemployment rate, what all these things hinge on that daily coronavirus case number. Ooh. You know, I mean... Dread hour. Is the Melbourne lockdown really going to end in four weeks? That's what Treasury is assuming. And yes, you know, I'm not critical of Treasury here. They have to plug in numbers in somehow... But I'm just making the point, these are very uncertain um, assumptions, including, you know, opening up international borders in, in January. Well, I mean, we don't know whether that's going to happen. So I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I thought that, you know, the Treasurer was at pains to say as many times as he could in, the, in that press conference, you know, the government's about saving lives and livelihoods. And under that banner, which everyone supports, you know, almost anything goes in terms of what needs to happen and what needs to be shoveled out the door, really. But I, I just to that tone again, I thought it was interesting that it seems to me, while the Treasurer was um, had a bit of a reassurance, um, almost pastoral tone to his comments, um, Matthias Cormann was a lot snippier, to use that term again, and had an eye to the 
political questioning that would come down the track, almost trying to position the government politically, I thought, already. Yeah, that may well be. I do think, though, um, he does have the political cover, as I mentioned, of, of Labor in principle, at least, uh, backing what they've done this week with JobKeeper and JobSeeker extending the payments. Uh, I think it'll be fascinating to see down the track if Labor believes more should be done, in fact, particularly for the unemployed on JobSeeker, which at the moment is due to end the uh, the COVID supplement uh, at the end of the year. So look, given the sheer number of people, this bulge of people that's coming onto the unemployment benefit, it'll be interesting to see where Labor goes on that. Um, and then we'll get into the arguments around, you know, who's spending more than the other. I'm sure at some point the coalition will roll out the line that they're better economic budget mm. managers. Yeah, no, no doubt they're going to mm. roll that one. I think they're going to roll it out by the end of the day. But David, let's unpack the big changes to JobKeeper and JobSeeker yeah. too, right? We're reviewing sort of the big changes of the week, not just the day. We're recording this on a Thursday morning. Let's talk about what they've done with JobKeeper because they were under a lot of pressure. There was this fiscal cliff and, mm. you know, were they going to take the rug out from people? They haven't done that. And, in fact, they've, you know, yes, it's lower, but they have been pretty generous still with JobKeeper, but with JobSeeker less so. What was the thinking behind what they've delivered here? What was behind the decision-making, particularly on the unemployed? Well, first point, you're right that this is really the bigger um, uh, substantive announcement of the week. Today was the debt and deficit figures, really a set of numbers that may or may not be right or wrong. What they're doing, though, when it comes to JobKeeper and JobSeek is fascinating. Uh, And I get this is incredibly difficult because they can't sustain these sort of payments forever. They do need to phase them out gradually. And in a way, that's what they're doing. So that's understandable. But we're still in a recession at the time, in a couple of months, when they're going to be pairing back, winding down, uh, you know, uh, slightly turning the tap off these payments. Is in the midst of a recession, the time to withdraw government spending from the economy. You know, we're talking probably about $10 billion across the quarter here in uh, money that would otherwise be in the pockets of businesses and households and the unemployed and so on. Um, is, is the midst of a recession the right time to be doing that? I think a lot of economists would say, no, it's not. It's a time to keep spending and spending more. Uh, and look, it's a good thing that they've given certainty around extending these payments um, through to March for JobKeeper, mm. but only through to the end of the year for JobSeeker. With the lean-in, with the lean-in. The Prime Minister's leaning into doing more after that, and that will add to the numbers we're talking about today when it comes to the budget bottom line, whatever he does there. Um, so, look, it, it's a it's a balancing act. Um, it, it, there's no right, uh, perfect answer here, but I do think there's a danger, if anything, that they're perhaps drawing down the spending too much too soon. They've certainly been given a green light to not do that. I mean, Philip Lowe again this week, the Reserve Bank Governor, again suggesting this is the time for the government to lead the spending when money is cheap and the Treasurer made a point of telling us how cheap it is today. So therefore, you know, carrying the cost of such a huge uh, deficit is is not so expensive. I think that the the cost of borrowing at the moment is 0.4%. So it's very, very low. So at this point, all quarters are giving the government a leave pass in a way to keep spending, to keep borrowing, to keep spending. And I think that is important. It is, it is. And Philip Lowe, the Reserve Bank Governor, you're right, this week um, made it clear that this level of debt is manageable. Don't forget that back in March, before the government, or when the government first announced JobKeeper, and they said the cost of it would be $130 billion, just that one program alone. 
that was a, you know, a, a blunder, as we later found out. It was only $70 billion for the first six months, so a $60 billion um, difference there. But with the $130 billion figure, Philip Lowe, the Reserve Bank Governor, thought that was cool. He mm. thought that was fine. We could handle that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so the point is, he clearly thought back then that we could manage a much higher debt burden than we are right now. So presumably, we can go further. Uh, we can go further. Let's not pretend. But I don't think the government's winding back these payments simply because it's worried about the level of debt. I do think there's also an element here of wanting to, not wanting to stand in the way of a transition in the economy. There are businesses, and another fascinating figure that came out this week is um, uh, bankruptcies, I think it was insolvencies, that are much lower than they were same time last year. Why? Because all these supports are in place to stop businesses folding, <laughs> arguably. Yeah, funny, some should be able to to fold. That's how the economy works. Workers then transition into another business. Very difficult to say that for a politician, I'm sure. But I think that's part of what's going on here, the reality that they've got to let the economy transform as hard as that may be for some. And allow people to shift around too and to go from one um, sector of work to another where there's perhaps a bigger, brighter future. Because if you're tethered to a business by JobKeeper, it's harder to then step away and go to another uh, and tr try your hand in another sector, isn't it? Well, you're not going to try, are you? Uh, you know, we're not, they're not as likely to try. I mean, maybe many out there will be thinking, you know, this is uh, unsustainable, the joint that I'm working at. Uh, I better start looking around. But it, it clearly is um, a handbrake on people doing that. Lots of questions asked of the Treasurer and Matthias Corman today mm -hmm. about when they'll pay it off. They say, you know, we're not going to commit to that. We've talked a bit about that. But are they likely to? Are they going to outline a plan, do you think, David, about about paying back debt or is thing have things changed so much and they the optics have been so different now that they, they feel no pressure to do that have things I, changed that dramatically no, look I doubt they will anytime soon because if they were realistic and credible on when they're going to pay off debt it's not going to be in 10 years it's arguably not going to be within 20 years and they'd look pretty crazy standing up saying here's our plan to pay off debt in 20 years um, whatever the figure is I think far more um, important is to see what their plans are, and as we get close to the election, what the other side's plans are, to grow the economy in a sustainable way, but in a way that generates jobs, in a way that sets us up uh, for you know this post-COVID economy. We're yet to see much from the government in terms of what plans they have on that front. I mean, things like bringing forward the second round of already legislated tax cuts, that ain't that ain't the sort of reform that the economy needs right now. I mean, tinkering around on... Um, you know, enterprise bargaining agreements, you know, all of this stuff may help, but we're not seeing the sort of big, bold reforms that arguably the economy really needs. That's going to be the interesting debate. Yeah, and that's the bigger debate, really, with the work they're doing with the trade union movement, mm. these working groups that Josh Frydenberg talked about, David, and flexibility in the workforce. That's going to be a key part to all of these reforms. I, I suppose my question to you is, what is that relationship now like, the, the working relationship with the union movement and business? They were critical about, particularly the union movement, about some of the changes that have been made yeah. in the last week. But still, it seems to me... That is a muted criticism. Are they likely to... I think that's to... right. I think that's right. I think there's still a fair bit of cooperation going on, but there are clear boundaries. Uh, there are clear limits to, you know, the, the friendship when it comes to particular industrial relations changes, when it comes to extending or expanding the uh, flexibility arrangements that are in the workplace right now to allow businesses to, you know, survive on JobKeeper. Um, so, you know, that that will have its end point. That will be um, fascinating to see where they break uh, ultimately on, on some of these topics. 
or indeed where they can reach consensus. I mean, they're meant to be uh, wrapping this up, these talks in September, so they've really only got another five or six weeks to do all that. I really sense that that consensus is starting to uh, wither a bit. I mean, the one point where the Treasurer sort of arced up a bit today was when he started talking about the importance of keeping those um, workplace flexibility changes in place, not just for companies that still have JobKeeper, but all the companies that are on JobKeeper now. He was really emphatic about it. So it seems to me the government is is preparing to ramp up the pressure um, uh, on the on the unions more generally around this and are sort of sort of muscling up for a bit of an IR battle. That's what that's what I sense. Yeah. If you cut the jargon out of it, what we're talking about here is allowing a business, particularly a small business, um, to only employ someone for you know a minimal number of hours when they're working um, you know, a full-time week uh, before this pandemic came along. Even if they're not on JobKeeper, allowing them to do that, uh, well, that's the sort of adjustment that clearly the government wants to allow in the economy. That's the sort of adjustment that the unions do not, uh, along with all sorts of penalty rates and so on that they want to protect, they want to keep in place, they don't want to see simply uh, disappear as a result of this crisis. So this is this is where we get to the nitty-gritty of, of the debate and where, as you say, Fran, we're likely to see corporation fracture. So that's the economic story, but it's intrinsically linked almost, you know, um, literally connected to the health crisis story. Mm. Before we let you go, David, I think we do need to touch about touch on the health yeah. crisis part of the story because it's huge. Victoria should, according to all the experts I've interviewed, and you too, Fran, I listened to you, I've missed you, Fran, should have turned the corner, should have turned the corner by now. Now, we haven't, and we're both Melburnians, we haven't turned that corner. And yes, you've mentioned already the optimism of these numbers, back to the economic story that it'll turn around. But really, we're talking about a health crisis now in this country. It could spread to New South Wales. They seem to be doing a better job of controlling it. But how bad is this picture, David? And how well is the National Cabinet, Daniel Andrews and the Prime Minister still working together, given what is really a, a crisis we just didn't see coming? Well, I've got to say, personally... Uh, I'm far more worried about that daily case number than that debt and deficit number today. Yeah, funny, isn't that, David? <laughs> you know, As Melbourneites? I, yeah, I just think, for well, probably for all Australians right now, this is, yes, this is focused on Melbourne, but it has a, a national drag on the economy, not to mention the fear that this is going to spread nationally as well. And, you know, I'm sure most do really care about, um, you know, what's happening to people's lives in Melbourne at the moment as well. Their, their jobs, their, their kids uh, not going to school, all these sort of things do have enormous social impact. Uh, here, so yet yeah, I, I've really been thinking this week in particular that the numbers should have started coming down. You now this we were told um, you go into lockdown and two weeks later that's what happens. You start to see the caseload drop. Look, thank goodness it hasn't you know, escalated. It hasn't doubled and doubled and doubled, but it hasn't really come down no. yet either. So I, I just wonder whether we're not seeing the same sort of thing we saw in late March, early April, where there were these. You know, almost daily national cabinet meetings, late night dramatic press conferences, crisis talks, everything was on the table. And um, this time there's plenty of support for Victoria from other states in the Commonwealth, particularly on the defence front. But Dan Andrews is the one who's shouldering all of this. He's not getting everything right. But, you know, it, it, it's I just I have I've just been feeling where where is the the real scrutiny on um, uh, is the right plan in place to manage this? Um, are the right people in place to manage yes. this? You know, do, do, do more experts or different measures need to be brought in? I just think this is the this is the problem that really needs tackling right now. We can worry about economic reform 
uh, after we've dealt with this particular health crisis. After this health crisis is dealt with, and we don't feel like that here in Melbourne, I've got to say, we are genuinely worried. Uh, you look, you have to look at the trend, as Casey yep. always tells us, the yep. trend matters. But right now, uh, the concerns are obviously every day there is a sense. I just want people to get that, who aren't in Melbourne that listen to this podcast. Mm. Every day we have a sense of high anxiety about those numbers. We really do. We, and, and it affects everything we're doing. It is... It is actually one of the most stressful things I've ever experienced, right? Oh, correct. And, you know, with um, with little kids, as you do as well, PK, you're having difficult conversations with them all the time about why they can't play with other kids. You know, and this just goes on and on and on. And you think there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And at the moment, that, that end of the tunnel is looking further and further away every day that we see these sort of numbers. Yeah, and looking on, look, it's. I think the whole country is looking anxiously for that number. And certainly in New South Wales, where I am in Sydney, it's starting to get a little hairy too. People are getting antsy. People are out in their masks again, voluntarily, not mandatory like you are. Um, and, and I think too, David, to what you were saying about, you know, what are we going to do about this? How are we managing it? Can we be doing it better? I still think there are problems with the messaging. You know, the messaging and the mistakes people are clearly making about not either not knowing when they should be home isolating or what they should do when they get a test or how long that means they stay home. It's all still very unclear, as I reckon the messaging around mask wearings too. And I think we need to be doing better, not just in Victoria, but nationally with the messages on this. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, Dan Andrews clearly is working around the clock. I'm, I'm not pretending otherwise. The guy's mm. You know, leading See the stress through on an his face, can't you? Yeah, exactly. But you know, to hear this week that uh, um, you know the problem has been clearly so many people not staying at home when they've started to feel unwell, and they're not even staying at home uh, once they've had a test and are waiting for the result to come back, simply because they're worried. You know, he argues uh, that they're going to lose work. They need to go because of the lack of adequate sick leave and so on. They need to turn up at work even if they're not well. Well, you know, why haven't these support payments, pandemic leave, whatever you want to call it? Uh, hardship payments. Why hasn't this been sorted out months ago? Mm-hmm. Months ago. Um, why are we still grappling with how to deal with this? Let alone, you know, the appropriate language service um, explanations of what you sh- what you're entitled to, what you can and can't do. Um, this stuff should have been done a long time ago. Mm, and it makes me think, don't get cocky too early in a pandemic. That's something we've learnt. Um, you know, yeah. flatten the curve. We're so good. Uh, yeah, maybe not so much. Hey, David. Um, Thank you for being on our first episode back. Great to be back. Great to be back. See you, David. See you, guys. See you, David. Well, it's been so great to be back in your feeds, I've got to say. I've been wanting to be there so desperately, Fran. I'm like, I want to be in their feeds. I want to be in their feeds. I want to feed these people. Uh, But, of course, pandemic, blah, blah. We're back. Uh, That's exciting, mainly because we get to tell people about politics and policy, which is what we're here for. But also, Fran, I had missed you, so I get to hang out with you. Oh, I miss you too. It is so good to be back. It's so good. I'm going to come back next week, PK. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to do it too. Let's do it. See you, Fran. See you, PK. 